Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. I'm Dr. Lawrence Tam. I'm Dr. Damian Kristoff. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. And this is the Wellness Guys Show, a weekly show dedicated to bring wellness into our lives. And today's episode is... I think we should put an explicit warning <laughs> for the listeners. If you've got kids, um, well, you should. Uh, kids should really listen to this. But I they think should. if you do have some people who are squeamish, um, you may want to turn it off uh, because no, just pull over. Pull over. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's going to be an interesting topic um, because this today we're going to talk pretty much all about bowel movements. Yes, yes, Bowburns. Damo has been waiting to do this episode ever since we started. He's so excited about this topic, it's ridiculous. That's right, we finally pushed it 21 weeks to actually get to this spot. <laughs> so, and you, could so, say, you could say I've pushed hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I really so, have, I really have. Look, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of funny. It's funny that I find it so fascinating, but I suppose having naturopathic training as well as chiropractic, you know, it's so important to understand what actually happens uh, when number two occurs. So, you know, it's a passion of mine to make sure that everybody's moving quite well. And uh, I, I just thought we should talk about it. Yeah, well, it's true, though. I mean, it's one of the things that people get squirmish about. They, people laugh about it. We joke about it. But it's one of the most important things that no one talks about, right? I mean, really, the, the, what we eat, we all think about the foods that we eat, but we don't think about where it goes. Right? and how it comes out, and that can dictate actually how our health is and how well our bodies functions. Because I'm sure, Damon, you're going to talk a little bit about the importance of our intestines and what it does and the, the bacteria that are in it, and um, basically the, everything about the movement of our bowels and uh, the consistency to everything, I'm sure. <laughs> so uh, where, do you, where do you want to take us, uh, Damo? Well, why don't we start at the top, right, and work our way down to the bottom? I think that would be a good way to go. And so if we consider that the digestive system is like a long pipe, it's, uh, it's lined with a layer of skin, only one layer. If we look at the skin on the outside of our body, it's uh, laid with seven layers. We know that to be true. But there's one epithelial layer, one layer of skin that, that lines most of the digestive tract. And so it's a very fragile area, a very fragile region, but it's actually, it, it covers the, mo the most amount of surface area of any organ in the body. So it's quite significant. In fact, if you stretch out just your intestines, it'll take out the surface area, will take out about the area of half a tennis court. It's massive. It's absolutely massive. Even you, LT, all 65 kilos of you, you know, still is Massive amount. It's incredible. So basically, the food's got to go into your body, and it gets mixed around with a bit of saliva. Not a whole lot, because it, you know, often some well, look. Some people don't even chew their food; they just get it in their mouth and swallow it. So often, saliva doesn't even you know get a chance. Gets into the stomach, and it gets you know it hits a bit of hydrochloric acid and some other digestive secretions that are in the gut, and then moves on through into the small intestine. And this is where the you know the rubber hits the road. This is where the enzymes come in. This is where the, the bile comes in from the gallbladder, or from the liver and the gallbladder into the small intestine, and pancreatic enzymes. All these things come in to digest all your bits and pieces in your, in your meal to then start to be absorbed all the way through the next, you know, I suppose, six feet of length all the way through your gut. And then as a result of all being digested, it gets absorbed, it gets into your bloodstream, and then it gets down to the colon. And this is a dehydrating organ. This, in, in this particular area of, of the bowels, which is called the small bowel, although it's very, very big, it actually it absorbs all the water from your food and then basically makes, it should make, 
a nice little log that you would back out quite easily, um, usually within 12 to 24 hours of that first meal, that first bite that you took um, way up at the top of the mouth. And that's pretty much how it all goes. Oh, that's a great anatomy <laughs> awesome. lesson and uh, physiology lesson. That's great. What about that? Mm, I like so it. that's about us done then, is that, David? We just Thank stop you. talking about poo now and move on to our next topic. Yeah. Spread <laughs> <laughs> really doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> so let's start from the start. You talked a little bit about chewing at the start. Let's tell us exactly why chewing is so important and what a difference it, or how much you should chew and what difference it makes if you do chew properly. Well, there's a whole lot of numbers that often get thrown around, aren't there, guys? So, you know, I often hear people say, oh, you've got to take 20 chews per mouthful. Some people say 30. Some people say 60. And, you know, really, I suppose what you've got to try and do is get all of your food coated with saliva. Saliva actually contains an enzyme called amylase. And amylase actually breaks down starches and, and sugars in your mouth. It actually initiates the digestive process, essentially. And so if you can get everything coated with a bit of amylase, then you know, you're doing a really good job. And so chewing food down basically increases the surface area of the food, which gives greater exposure to the hydrochloric acid to the food, so it breaks it down better, and the hydrochloric acid's in your gut. And then uh, you know, you're, you're better able then to move a, a chunk of food uh, into your small intestine so that you can digest that. And if you've got a large surface area of the food already been chewed up, then the enzymes will work more efficiently, which means you're going to get access to the macronutrients and the micronutrients more efficiently and better. Mm, very nice. What about um, in terms of... Very nice. Very nice. What about people... It was very nice. It was very nice. Well, I mean, this, it makes sense why you, you know, break it down and get more surface areas. But what about like things like, you know, rumors about you know, drinking water before or after a meal, during a meal? What's your suggestion on that? Look, I think it's so important to drink enough water. Um, but some people actually have a bit of a weak or underactive digestive system. And so as a result, if they put in any extra fluid into the mix of hydrochloric acid in their gut, they kind of downregulate, or not downregulate, but um, I suppose decrease the amount of acid or raise the pH level in their gut. And so to, even just by the smallest fraction can can cause a little bit of turmoil in that you don't digest your food as efficiently as what you should. And then so com- consequently, you find yourself feeling bloated during or after the meal. And, uh, and, and many people find that, that can, in fact, be a little bit constipating later on down the track because they haven't digested their food as efficiently as what they should be. So you're better, I suppose, if you're going to drink a bit of water with your meal, put a bit of lemon juice in it. That will help you with your digestive secretions. But preferably you drink your, your water on either side of your meal. You know, give yourself a good you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes before you actually put some water into your gut um, before your meal. Um, and then probably about an hour after really is what you want to be doing. But you, you can certainly sip water, but don't just guzzle heaps of water because it does disrupt your digestion. Right. We're, uh, since we're in the topic of just putting food in our mouths um, first, and we'll get down the track later, um, <laughs> regards to uh, you know things like vitamins and you know probiotics and all these you know extra things that people take like vitamins and things. When do you recommend eating? Because when's the best way? To, I guess. Sometimes you know they taste. They take it before food. Sometimes you take it during food. You know, what do you suggest people to so that they can get the most absorption within um, those particular uh, supplements? Yeah, well, it's a great word that you use at LT because the the word supplement basically means that you supplement a healthy diet. And so at the end of the day, what you're supposed to actually do is to fill the gaps, with, you know, with nutrients or vital greens or whatever other supplements that you're actually taking. So it's filling the gap of your meal. 
So you don't want to fill the gap where there's no food. Essentially, what you've got to try and do is nutrient up the food. So basically, make the food or the meal that you're about to eat as, as nutrient-dense as you possibly can. And I suppose that's where your supplements should come in. So anything really that's going to have any kind of biological play on the body, except with an exception of calcium, we'll talk a little bit later, about that later. But all the other nutrients that you'd want to take should actually be coming into your meal with with your meal, sorry, into your body with the meal. That's essentially what should happen, including your vital greens. So you try to make your meal as nutrient dense as possible. Okay, great. Well, let's t- let's go down further now and 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 say let's go into the stomach area. And we've got a lot of people <laughs> with regards to um, acid reflux and uh, you know these type of things. You know, I know it, I'm. It kind of goes and evolves in, in terms of the intestinal tract. What are your suggestions from there? Well, there's two reasons often, LT, uh, for you know heartburn, indigestion, reflux, those sorts of things. And so, in children, we often see that. You know, certainly as chiropractors, one of the best things that we do um, with our hands is remove subluxation, which in, in many cases actually helps children get rid of their reflux, which is an amazing thing. Have you seen? I've seen that many times in yeah, practice. Definitely. So, and I love it. But um, often that's associated, that's a nervous system involvement. But many people actually uh, may not be subluxated and they still get reflux. And often that's because of one or two things. Either they haven't got enough acid in their gut. So they might have um, had some kind of infection at some point or they you know, haven't eaten very, very well over a long period of time. They could have had subluxation in their spine for a long, long period of time. And so consequently now they're not digesting their food as well as what they should. But it's a low acid environment and that actually brings about a hyperacidity in the gut. So when there's low acid in the gut, when there's not enough acid, the food ferments in the stomach. It's got to get – it's it doesn't actually get digested down enough and it ferments and the fermentation process blows wind up the esophagus which brings splashing of acid into the esophagus and and that part of upper digestion uh, really needs to be worked on and the way in which you work on that is to raise your acid levels in the gut. You can do that with hydrochloric acid supplements, you can do it with lemon juice, you can do it with ginger, you can do it with apple cider vinegar, those sorts of things will raise the acid levels in the gut and that's a good thing if you've got heartburn after a meal. So, if you've got heartburn between your meals, that that usually indicates that you've got some kind of an infection. So the heartburn that's between your meals, you've got some kind of a bug, and many people, many people would actually have Helicobacter pylori, which is you know one of those bugs that many people are very familiar with these days. It causes ulcers in the gut, but that's that's the infection in the gut, and usually the heartburn, the indigestion, the reflux that you're getting associated with an infection, which is between you know the that you're getting between your meals is because your stomach's trying to kill off that infection. So you've got to help it out. So there's plenty of herbs that you can use. You can go down and see your local naturopath or your chiropractor, um, and you can get some really great herbs to actually help out and kill off that bacteria in the gut. If you've got to go the medical route, then they can get rid of it as well, but you've got to kill off that infection because it can actually result in ulceration of the gut and then bleeding inside the stomach, and then, of course, that opens up to a whole host of other problems. Yes, yeah, cool. interesting. Go ahead. Sorry, so Damo, so while, while we're in this area, Damo, mm-hmm. I thought it'd be good to talk a little bit about burping. Yeah. I thought that'd be sort of related and along the same sort of lines here. Yeah, it is, mate. And so often, Bredo, what actually happens, people eat their food so fast that um, they actually swallow air. And so that can be something. So if you're not chewing your food enough or if you're actually swallowing large chunks of food or you're drinking with your meal, you're actually often swallowing air. So that air's got to get out. But burping, say, half an hour after a meal, that's associated with that 
that poor or low acid environment, which I just spoke about. So one of the best things that you can do is squeeze lemon juice over your meal. You can actually add the lemon juice to your water and just sip that while you're actually drinking your meal or even suck on a lemon just before you're about to eat because these sorts of things will actually stop you from burping and also stop you from having the risks associated with having reflux refluxing acid going into your esophagus. And of course, the major risk or complication with having reflux going up into your esophagus or acid going into your esophagus is, of course, esophageal cancer or stomach cancer. So you want to make sure you get on top of it. Absolutely. So, Damo, you're saying the lemon juice at about the same time as your meal? Because I'd always sort of understood that about 20 or 30 minutes before your meal just to really prime your stomach and get that going. Yeah. What do you reckon that with your meal is better? Oh, look, Brett, actually, look, your suggestion is actually better. 20 minutes beforehand to, you know, prime your gut is a really, really good thing to do. And really what happens is as soon as you start to think about food, your stomach and all your enzymes and all those sorts of things start to secrete in, in preparation for that. And so having some lemon juice might actually get that going just a little bit better. But many people actually do forget to do that. And so they sit down to a meal and they go, oh, my gosh, I forgot my lemon juice. But then we'll then think, well, I've forgotten it. No point doing it now. I would actually suggest that if you did it 20 minutes beforehand, that would be even better. But if you didn't do it 20 minutes beforehand, do it at your meal and that will still be very effective. Mm, it's funny, isn't it? Just talking about food and lemon juice is, is making me secrete some uh, digestive enzymes. It makes you salivate, doesn't it? So yeah, yeah talking totally about does. lemon juice. You can have to spat it over my screen. Does, does that work, <laughs> like if, if I'm sitting here, I'm about to have my meal and I don't actually have any lemons, can I just sit here and think about eating a lemon? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the reflexes that the body is able to do. And the, the body literally, and we did that, didn't we? Have we done that before? Yeah, we talked about stress. Yeah, yeah we stress. did that. Yeah, that's why we spoke about mindset and, you know, how you can actually shape things and, 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 and lemon, just thinking about lemon actually makes you salivate. But certainly as soon as you start to think about food, and, you know, if I mention the word tomato or if I mention the word steak for, or for a vegetarian, if I mention the word tofu, you know, if I, if I mention any kind of food, then literally at that point in time your pancreas starts to secrete enzymes to break down protein fat and carbohydrate and of course we've spoken about protein fat and carbohydrate in the past we we know that we're supposed to have protein fat and carbohydrate with every single meal and uh, and so our, our pancreas primes that whole digestive area through the small intestine around the area of the duodenum to get everything ready to be broken down to then absorb it later on and that's that's an incredibly intelligent thing to be able to do Oh, fantastic. I think that's that's great advice. Let's move down into the colon now. <laughs> so this is your favorite topic yeah. demo. I know I'll you've just been waiting. The closest, the closest we get to the business end, the more excited demo is getting. No, no, so but just before we go there, because you know what we need to understand is that there are some bacteria that actually live in the small intestine, which mm. we, we should be aware of. Now, it's not all our probiotics actually reside in the small intestine, but some actually do. Many of the bacteria that actually help us to digest um, our foods and our carbohydrates and, and our fats and take out the gases from our meals, the, these bacteria also live and reside in the small intestine. So it's important here to make sure that your, your, your whole gastrointestinal system is really healthy. And I suppose understanding the transit time or the speed at which food moves through your gut is particularly important. So if we, if we talk about how you can actually find out how fast things are moving through, that this becomes very, very relevant because the bacteria that are inside your small intestine as well as the bacteria that are inside your colon, your, your, uh, your large bowel, this is the stuff that actually is so important because it really changes the game. If you've got good bugs, it's great. If you've got bad bugs, it's really bad. Right. It's, it's, yeah, isn't it like 60, you said 65% of it? Your immune system is in your gut? Well, yeah. Look, for kids, 
for children, it's about 75, 75 to 80%. Okay, yep. Yeah, 75 to 80% of, your, of the children's immune system is actually in the gastrointestinal system. And I often think about all the kids who have had antibiotics or they have um, really highly processed foods or they you know, have a diet that's very low in plant-based fibers. And you know, when I say plant-based fibers, I'm talking about you know, vegetables and fruits and salads, not breads and cereal. I'm actually talking about real plants, stuff that's actually going to assist the human existence. But uh, it's, when kids are having really bad diets and they're having fizzy drink and sugar, they get funguses and stuff growing in their gut and, and that's not good because they're all, you often see children bloated and then craving food because they're so malnourished because they can't get enough nutrition because they're eating all this junky stuff. So you've got, you know, I've just got on my soapbox there for a second, but kids have got to be fed really, really well. Yeah, especially with um, C-section babies too as well. You know, babies who didn't go through a natural birth, they, you know, babies that do go through a natural birth get the first gulp of bacteria from their mother's vagina as they're coming out um, when a c-section baby bypasses all that you know so they're missing those bacteria as well right from the beginning from their mothers and so you know we got to also think about adding probiotics into those kids you know on top of you know regular uh, kids that are naturally birthed yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I, I had a really, you know, when you said gulp, I thought, crikey, that's not too good. But it's actually more of a coating. So they get a coating coming all the way through and the commensal bacteria actually goes over their face into the nasal passage and also into their mouth, but also over all of their body. So the commensal bacteria that reside in the vaginal tract of the mother giving birth actually coats the whole of the baby. And that's why it's really important not to clean the baby straight after the, straight after the delivery because they've, they've got to get all that bacteria happening inside inside their body and on their body because that gives them a lot of protection. It's really important. But you mentioned a, a great thing there, LT, which is the um, the probiotics. And there's a number of different types of probiotics that you can get, but it's for children, it's so important that you get the infant strain bacteria because the adult strain bacteria, for the most part, they don't reside in the gastrointestinal system of children. The infant strain and the child strain bacteria actually reside inside the child's gut. So you've, you've got to choose your, your probiotics wisely. Well, just so while we're on the topic of probiotics and kids, I know a lot of parents out there, you know, the first thing, because it's in their mind, it's because of media, you know, they usually go for your cult and thinking that that is a good probiotic. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about that? Well, look, I won't particularly talk about um, that particular product, but what I'd, I'd like to say is that the bacterial type drinks that you take in or the, the probiotic um, drinks that you the drinking yogurts that you take, typically they contain bacteria or strains of bacteria that aren't um, commensal type bacteria. They don't naturally live in that environment. So they're, they're considered to be transient bacteria. So they do actually offer a degree of health to the body, which is great, but they don't actually stay in the gut for long enough to bring about a significant effect. Let me just say that they're better than not doing anything at all, but there's certainly better ways to, to go about re-inoculating the gut with beneficial bacteria. And that goes for you know, adults as well as kids. You know, it's, it's across the board. Now, Damo, you touched on a topic just a little earlier that I just wanted to come back to on a little bit. Um, you were talking about fiber, which obviously is really important for the digestive system. Yeah. And you were talking about getting your fiber from fruits and vegetables versus from you know perhaps the breads and grains which we're taught a lot of the time people are taught that well the way to get fiber is to have your cereals your breads your grains your all brands those sort of things so I thought it would be worth having a bit of a chat about the those two different sources of fiber and which way to go well there's when we talk about fiber types there's um, there's a couple of different types of fiber you've got the digestible type a type of fiber um, and then you've got the indigestible types of fiber and often uh, people, are, you know, when they're constipated or they're bloating or even if they've got diarrhea, 
they're often recommended to go and eat a, a higher fiber diet and they're told to go and get some more grains or some more bread or to get some you know more fiber some husks or hulls or into their diet and psyllium hulls for example and they get all these processed fiber types to try and bulk their stool up or you know in other words to try and move it or to slow it down and it's a little bit nonsensical they're, Really, what you should be doing is putting in the fibers that are both digestible and indigestible, and these naturally occur in fruits, vegetables, and salads. And the the benefit of these particular fiber types is that they, one, they create a little bit of friction and a bit of irritation to the gut, so that you know you, you can move your bowels um, effectively. Um, but also, too, they bring with them a lot of nutrients, a lot of vitamins, and so the vitamins that you get from your food usually are found in, you know, amongst, in amongst many other things, but also with the fiber that you actually take into your diet. And so, subsequently, if you're having um, a diet that's that's full of a processed fiber, for example, bread or bran or psyllium hulls or senna or whatever else, if you're doing all those sorts of things to get your fiber up in your gut instead of just eating heaps of fruits and vegetables, you're missing out on a massive opportunity to bring heaps of vitamins into your bloodstream because the vitamins are actually bound to the fruit and the vegetable and the salad-based fibers. Yeah, that makes sense. And and my understanding is that you actually get a whole lot more fiber from vegetables in particular than you do from breads and grains anyway. Is that true? The quantity is quite a lot higher? Oh, look, I, look I, I'm not too sure because, look, you've certainly got, you know, one of the breads I've got these days has invisible fiber. Now, I mean, and I don't know if this is the case, but a couple of years ago at a herbalist conference that I went to, there was a representative there from the CSIRO. And he was talking about how the CSIRO were investigating the utilization of plastics. And they'd actually worked out a way in which they could get recycled plastic and turn it into an invisible fiber that they were going to put into the diet. Um, and it was just going to be part of our daily diet. And my suspicion is that it's possibly in the processed foods that we're eating already. This, this, uh, this, plastic, this plastic stuff, this recycled plastic. And it will only ever occur in the processed foods. It's never going to be naturally occurring. So. Look, I think the more appropriate fibers, the better quality fibers you're going to find in greater density in fruits and vegetables and salads. But there's certainly some products like breads and cereals and and all those sorts of things that have been made with bucket loads of fiber. So per 100 grams, they might actually have a truckload more fiber. But in terms of what's beneficial for us, they, they, they may lack in that particular area. Oh, that sounds gross. Cool. <laughs> Doesn't it just plastic? Yeah, when yeah. you love some plastic in your bread, that sounds awesome. We actually booed him off. It was amazing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. wow. So where are we off to next, Amy? Oh well, <laughs> why don't we talk about transit time for a second? Because you know, one of our special guests coming up is going to talk about a, a an amazing lifestyle, which we're you know very very excited about. I won't reveal that guest uh, just yet. I'm going to leave that to Brett to reveal that incredible. Um, interview that's coming up. It's going to be awesome. But um, many people are very, very scared about eating red meat. In fact, you know, a study just the other day came out and said that, you know, if you eat red meat, you're going to increase your, well, you're going to shorten your life, basically. You're going to increase your risk for colon cancer. And I just find it abhorrent. I find it just absolutely ridiculous that people would continue to harp on and talk about this as if it's a truth because it's actually not a truth. It's not true that if you just eat red meat, you're going to increase your risk of colon cancer. What you've got to consider is what you also eat with your red meat. So many people would suggest, and you guys might have heard this as well, that some people think that red meat sticks in your guts for around about seven days. Have you heard that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. it's... 
it, how could that be? I mean, how, how could how could a piece of red meat stick in your gut for seven days? That would have to mean that you didn't move your bowels for seven days because it doesn't make any sense. Because if I took a glass of water and I put some sesame seeds in there and I had my glass of water with my sesame seeds in there at about the same time as my, as my meat and I saw my sesame seeds come out the very next day, you know what I'm talking about? I'm measuring my transit time. If I saw my sesame seeds coming out the very next day, do you think that my piece of steak is sticking around in my gut and going, hey, catch you later, I'll see you in a couple of weeks' time when I get out? Do you think that's what it's doing? I'm pretty sure it's not doing that. In fact, what I do know is that if you have a piece of steak, it's coming out with the next time, or it comes out with your sesame seeds. In other words, your bowel transit time actually gives you an indication of the health of your gut, and then how long the steak actually stays inside you. It's it's not true that a, a piece of steak sticks around in your gut for seven days. It's just absolutely not true. So I, I find it, it's actually a really good thing to do if you're listening to this call and you're wondering how do you find out your transit time. If you've got good eyesight, use sesame seeds and a glass of water. If you've got bad eyesight, chuck some corn in some water and then drink because <laughs> they show up and they're glowing. And uh, But, you know, checking out your transit time actually gives you an indication of how long food's sticking around in your gut. And you should really have it all out within 12 to 24 hours. And then you've got really healthy guts. And I can't see how that actually increases your risk of colon cancer. Oh, there you yeah. have it. And I think, Damon, with, with those cancer risks as well, I think a lot of that's to do with the types of meat they're testing. Yeah. Um, you know, we've spoken before about, you know, free-range, organic, grass-fed meats and how good they can be. But obviously, you know, some of your more processed meats with the the chemicals and the preservatives and all those sort of things in them, I think they're going to be very different in terms of their effect on your body and your cancer is compared to, like I said, a nice free-range organic uh, grass-fed meat. So I think people need to be really careful of what they're actually studying when they look at those sort of studies as well. What were they actually testing? Yeah, that's right. And then what, what also sat alongside that meat? Was it just you know, some mashed potato and a couple of peas? Or was it a nice, beautiful salad that was quite robust with heaps of nutrition? You know, what actually went into that body um, frequently when they were eating that piece of red meat? They're the questions you want to ask. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we're so, running down to the end of time here, we got probably about another six, seven minutes. I want you to sort of talk a little bit about um, your the shapes and size and, and in terms of your balance because I know that you have a whole chart like you had a poo chart um, yeah. I remember seeing and, uh, and yeah. you were ba- back at your bathroom door and stuff so we'll talk a little bit about that and why people get constipated and what they can do about it look there's a couple of reasons why people get constipated but also look the, I, the poo chart comes from the Bristol um, poo chart and you can search that online you just search Bristol stool chart and uh, it, it actually lists seven different types of poo and so it ranks them from one all the way through to seven. And so number, really number four is the best number two that you should have. Essentially, that's what, you, that's what you're after. And that's a log that's kind of uh, ghost-like and Teflon-coated. It should actually slip on out, not make a big splash, and not leave many marks in the bowl at all, if any, and uh, require very little cleanup. And that's an ideal poo. Do you guys have those sorts of poos? Yes. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm announcing to the world. <laughs> what answer, like. answer, I was wondering whether or not you've got to answer LT, but Brett, you didn't answer. I've, yeah, yeah, I said I reckon I do. Oh, you reckon you do? Oh, that's I reckon right. I do. I think that's important, and I think that if you've got a number four, then you're doing really well. Now, so the, it goes different scales, and so um, at either ends of the scale here, you've got um, different types of poos going anywhere from it's on a real big hurry to get on out and it's a bit sloppy and messy and splashes all over the place and blasts the bowl to pieces. That's an indication that there's actually not enough good bacteria in the gut. And when that's actually happening, 
there, that is a, a, a bigger risk for colon disease than anything else. If you've got consistent, persistent, um, unformed, runny stools, then your guts are in bad health and they need a lot of help. They need a lot of help. You've either got food sensitivities or you've got some kind of infection in your gut um, or you've got some kind of uh, you know, malabsorption profile going inside, inside the gut that you really need to get on top of because you, you, you just can't continue to have a runny stool and expect to actually function properly because you actually need to have that stool hanging around in your gut for a little bit to absorb all that water. A couple of things happen there. One, you won't have a very nutritious uptake of, of food in your, inside your gut if you're running with diarrhea all the time. It's not a good thing. Or even a loose, broken up stool because you've got a lot of water, a lot of nutrient going through you too quickly. That's rapid transit. You've got to try and slow that, slow that down and you fix it up by taking out all of the crappy foods that you're eating and usually that sorts it out. On the other end of the scale, you've got the really tough logs, um, the ones that are really, really hard to move. In fact, many many people actually have pebbles, and these little pebbles very, very difficult to get out, and they can be they can hurt. Sometimes they get big, quite big rocks, and that can actually tear the anus. And as a result, we can end up with uh, hemorrhoids. You can end up with little tears, little fissures, and so there can be infection issues there. But essentially, what you what you finding out there by understanding your stool there is there's not enough water in your colon. In other words, the food's sticking around in your gut for too long. So you've got to rehydrate your colon. I, I like to use magnesium oxide and I've got a great product called uh, Colon Clear to do that. I use um, a, a teaspoon of magnesium oxide with a glass of water and I, I get people to take that at the night or just before they're about to go to bed and that brings a lot of water back into the gut so it actually helps to hydrate the gastrointestinal system. And and that it will actually you know, improve your absorption of absolutely everything as well as decrease your absorption and reabsorption of all the junk that's actually inside the colon. So it's really important to make sure that you fit in a number four, uh, you know, at least once or twice a day. I think just get a nice log ghost boost, Teflon coated thing, get it out and, um, and, and do really, really well. Well, that's um, very, very interesting. That's excellent. Number four. So we're going for number four. Number I think, four. yeah, excellent. And so I think one of the things you put out a challenge, I think, to all our listeners, the challenge is the sesame seed challenge, I think, or the corn yeah. challenge. I think it's yeah. very important for people to try and actually check, check out your transit time, you know, 12 to 24 hours. That's what uh, it should be. And uh, so let's uh, wrap it up and, and, and sort of put some summary to majority of the things we talked about. Basically, drink plenty of water. Make sure you chew your food properly. Those are uh, eat stacks of fruits and veggies. And, uh, you know, make sure also, too, to really, I guess, exercise. And we've talked about these before. I mean, exercising and seeing a chiropractor if you're having troubles with making sure the spine, uh, making sure the nervous system is functioning properly. All that stuff is very, very important in regards to proper bowel movements. Um, having good, healthy probiotics was also another suggestion there. And the, all of that is going to be, you know, part of healthy bowel and healthy i guess bowel wellness i guess we can call it yeah yeah did you want to uh, lead with any uh, lasting points oh look i think what's really important what this actually comes down to and what it really sums up is just making sure that your diet's so healthy and you know you're having lots of plant-based foods so we're talking about your fruits your vegetables your salads also having some kind of protein um and, and look i'm a carnivore so i have primarily animal-based proteins 
um, I think that's a better way to go, um, certainly for my body. I also think it's particularly important to make sure that you're getting enough uh, fat in your diet. So I think fat's very underrated. If you've got enough oil going through your gut, then you're going to get great secretion of bile into your small intestine so that you can actually digest your food more efficiently. So make sure you're eating enough fat in your diet. Don't go low fat because that's actually dangerous. Make sure you've got good probiotics or good bacteria going into your gut. So um, I like to have a probiotic on a daily basis. I think it's a really good part of your health plan and drink plenty of water. I think all of those things would uh, sum up what I've been talking about tonight. Fantastic uh, information. Didn't know you know so much about the bowels, though, Demo. Great. Listen, that was an excellent episode, and who knew bowels and colons could be so interesting, and we could have gone on for another hour, I'm sure. But as always, join us each week on thewellnessguys.com. Make sure you leave your comments below. Tell us what happened in your sesame seed challenge or your corn challenge. (laughs) Tell tell us what you think about this episode, and um, you might... Maybe Damo can answer the questions about bowels if you want a game to tell us how your bowels and which poo number are you. Um, on, so we'll leave on. Make sure you like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, sign up for a notice of each episode, and make sure you download us on iTunes. And thank you for making us number one health podcast in Australia. And let's go for number one in the world. And Lawrence, just really quickly, Damien mentioned earlier that we've got a couple of really big interviews coming up. Mm. Um, so I want to keep those uh, under wraps for now. But what I want people to do is if you don't want to miss out on these big interviews that are coming up because they're going to be some really awesome ones, Massive. is make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast either on our website or on iTunes and these regular updates when they come out because there's going to be some really cool stuff coming up soon. Yeah, we're really excited to tell you, but we're just going to hold back a little bit. So until (laughs) next week, begin creating wellness into your lives. Lead by example and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on the Wellness Guy Show.